This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Olivia, before we get into it, as always, it's great to see you. We are officially three days before Christmas. We're recording this episode a little bit early. It's going to come out on the 26th, but we can't start an episode without me checking in with you. How are you doing? You ready for Christmas? How's everything going? I am kind of ready for Christmas. I have yet to buy any Christmas gifts, <laughs> but that's okay. But yeah, I'm going to go see the family tomorrow, and I'm kind of just excited to spend time with them and eat some good food, and hopefully Santa brings me something nice. How are you? How's things going? I, it's getting real cold in Nashville tonight. Yes, we are recording on the 22nd, and we are currently in the midst of a winter vortex. So it has started snowing. It's going to go down to one degree before any wind chill. It's supposed to be really, really windy, and it looks like we're looking at a good layer of ice coming. So hopefully everything will be good. We can still, you know, get to family and stuff like that on Christmas, and it's coming a few days early. But, you know, other than that, it's been good. I've got all my Christmas shopping done. I feel productive. I wrapped it all up today, you know, spent some time at the mall. So it was cool. It was good to get everything done. A lot of people order all their Christmas gifts. I actually like to like go out and like be in a store and look for stuff. Like there's something about that tradition for me. So it's been good. I've got to get in the car and listen to some podcasts and get my shopping on. So can't complain. Well, that's good. I've gotten into the spirit of not wanting to buy Christmas gifts. And I think that comes from me moving away and not being able to come home for Christmas and being with my family. So I've gotten, as I've gotten older, just like the quality time is my thing. And like I buy for my sister's kids, but I just, I don't know. I like to buy gifts throughout the year. If something reminds me of you, I buy it and give it to you. Um, I just don't think we should be under so much stress around the holidays. Yeah, I mean, for me, I have not been home for Christmas in like nine years. So it's been a long time since I've been home with my family, like on Christmas. The great news is, is my wife's family is absolutely wonderful. 
and I get to celebrate with them. And now Millie gets to celebrate with them and, you know, she's not really missing out, but I think, you know, maybe next year or the year after we might start looking at, you know, maybe we make the nine hour drive and go do a Christmas there. Cause I mean, it's crazy. I think it's been almost a decade since I've like done Christmas with my mom or my siblings or anything like that. It's, it's weird. So first off, that's sad that you haven't been with your family, but you also have Millie and she's at the point where like she's understanding and she's like excited for Santa and asking for things. And so that makes it really exciting. I remember when my nephews were younger, we'd wake up real early, go over to my sister's house and, uh, you know, see what Santa brought the kids. I don't think too many kids are listening to our podcast. So, you know, that's exciting. And just seeing their reaction and how excited they are that they got what they asked for. And, you know, that's that's a fun time in kids' lives. Yeah. And I mean, I've been really lucky too, because like, I love my family that lives down here. You know, Kara's family is my family. And, you know, I don't feel like I'm missing out as far as like being lonely or feeling sad or anything like that on Christmas. It's just like, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, I miss my family. You know what I mean? So, but you're right. This is, you know, Millie is super amped. She's already put in her list to Santa. She's like reminding me every day of the list that she put in. She's counting down. So it's going to be uh, really exciting to see her face when she gets up in the morning and, and kind of sees what Santa's brought and stuff like that. So, you know, as a dad, I'm super excited for it. Well, she definitely shut me down today, skateboarding in the grass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can skateboard in the grass as long as you try, you know. So <laughs> She was like, yeah, you can. Yeah, as long as you have a helmet and some pads, you're good to go. So. Yeah, you can skateboard anywhere. And as a dad, I'm like, yeah, let's keep you in the grass until you're like 14. I don't want you right, to break right. anything. Millie had asked Santa Claus for a skateboard for everyone who's listening to us. Yeah, yeah. And again, she's four years old and has no concept of what a skateboard is. So it should be very interesting. <laughs> but this week is your week to bring a case. I'm super excited. Talk to me a little bit about what you got. Uh, I saw your notes that you sent over. I didn't peek too hard because I wanted to, you know, hear you break it down. But what are we going to be talking about today? What are we doing? Well, we're going back to your home state of Michigan. Oh, I am going home for Christmas. You are just a few days early. Okay. Murder Christmas. Murder Christmas <laughs> so. court. Awesome. Well, I am super excited. You think we should jump into it? Yeah, let's get started. For sure. On July 13th, 1993, in Niles, Michigan, Jackie Kaiser went home expecting to see her best friend Rebecca Stowe, or Becky, who had spent the night with her the night prior. When she arrived home, the door was unlocked, radio and TV were on, the washer and dryer were running, and as she continued to search the house for Becky, the bathroom was still steamy from someone's recent shower and the curling iron was still hot. As she got back to the kitchen, there was a note that said, Went to talk to Rob. Robert Rob Lehman was a 16-year-old high school football player and Becky's new boyfriend. Jackie wasn't worried and assumed she'd see Becky when she was done talking to Rob. Until Jackie's phone rang and on the other end was Robert asking to speak with Rebecca. Jackie, confused as to where Becky was, called Diane, Becky's mom, who said she had not seen her either. When Becky didn't return home, Diane filed a missing persons report on July 14, 1993. Detective Lisa Grinnan with Michigan State Police was assigned to the case. Like any other missing teenager case, police inquired about recent arguments, fights, or places they may go for a safe haven. Diane was adamant that Becky would not run away, and if she did, she would have gone to her older sister Cindy's house. Cindy had not heard from Becky either. Becky's family knew something was wrong at this point. Disappearing and not calling was out of character for her. So this case is already piquing my interest. So I have to stop you right here because as a dad, if my kid went missing, I haven't heard from her. Her friends haven't heard from her. She's not with a sibling or something like that. Like I would immediately go into high panic mode. 
So as we're going through this, you've already got me like my, my attention is zoomed in the hooks are in. Like, I'm like, what's going on with the story. I want to know what's happening. So. Yeah. And there's a lot more details that come. And then it is shocking that she's not with anybody. You know, you would think, oh, if she's going to run away, she'll run away with her best friend, or at least her best friend will know, you know, and her best friend is the one that can't find her. Yeah. For me, that's already a signal that like something is seriously up. So I'm along for the ride. I'm excited to see where it goes. Two days later, on July 15th, detectives started to interrogate family and friends, starting with Robert Lehman, as the note left behind pointed in his direction. Lehman could have been the last person to see Becky alive. Robert said that the couple didn't have any plans to meet up that day on July 13th. Detective Grennan said that Robert did not appear nervous, but was rather calm and collective, and his alibi could potentially check out. Robert said he was working for a landscaping company in the morning, hung out with his cousin, went home, showered, and went back to work at a second job for the evening. Detectives continued to question friends and classmates of Becky's, hoping that they would potentially find a clue or a motive for her disappearance. The only person they were unable to question at that time was Jackie, who again was Becky's best friend, her boyfriend Todd. Todd had gone out of town to Myrtle Beach with friends shortly after Becky disappeared. Michigan police sent out a call to the South Carolina police with a bolo on Todd. Police located his car and pulled him over for questioning. They also searched his car. Todd denied knowing where Becky was. This put tension between Jackie and Todd. Diane, Becky's mother, showed up at Todd's house and demanded she search his car and home. Nothing was found, slowly taking the suspicion away from Todd as the culprit. Yeah, I can imagine that Todd would look really suspicious if he is Jackie, who is Becky's best friend. It's her boyfriend. I'm sure they're very close. And then she disappears and all of a sudden he's out of town. And if it wasn't him, I'm just imagining how this kid is feeling when he's on vacation. He's with his buddies in Myrtle Beach and all of a sudden he's getting pulled out of his car and searched. And then her mom is showing up and being like, where's my daughter? You know what I mean? It's got to be if it's not him, I feel really bad for him. Yeah. I mean, they're just trying to find anybody at this point. Yeah. And I mean, the suspicion definitely makes sense. Now, Michigan State Police began a massive search for Becky Stowe. Officers searched on the ground while helicopters searched from above. Missing persons posters were placed all over town, and Becky's family and friends created a search team as well. Multiple tips were called in stating they had seen Becky throughout the town. All the leads were followed up on, and not one had any truth behind it. Detectives now turned to questioning known local sex offenders, school employees, and even some homeless people. Still no leads, until one day Detective Grennan got a call saying that someone had found bones in a gravel pit. Once on the scene, bones were found and sent to forensics. They were later determined to belong to an animal and not Becky. Again, still with no leads, police decide to take a deep dive into Becky's personal life. So who is Rebecca Stowe? Becky was a 15-year-old sophomore at the time of her disappearance. She was described by her family and friends as being the life of the party. She was funny, outspoken, and smart. She lived with her mother, Diane, and her live-in boyfriend, Lenny. Becky and Lenny did not always get along, but being a 15-year-old teenage girl is difficult. Becky and her mom had a close but complicated relationship, more like friends. She spent a lot of her free time with her best friend, Jackie. Jackie told detectives that on the day of her disappearance, the two went to the store to buy a pregnancy test. She reported that they stopped at the local Burger King and took the pregnancy test that was shockingly positive. Jackie told police that Becky appeared to be happy about being pregnant but was worried about what her mother, Diane, would think. Now police went back to question Robert as he was her boyfriend. He told police that he and Becky only had sexual intercourse once and used protection. So this takes this story to like a whole new level. Yeah. Because now I'm like, all right, does somebody have something to lose or think that they have something to lose? 
And then I'm also, as someone who has had to buy pregnancy tests at a younger age and should have been worried about something when maybe I shouldn't have, thinking about this girl having to take this test in like a Burger King bathroom is just like very reminiscent of like young love to me. You know what I mean? Like no one in their thirties is like, I got to go to a Burger King and take this pregnancy test. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what you do when you're like 17 to like 22. You're just like, I just need to find out. You know what I mean? So it adds a new dynamic. And now I'm like, all right, like what's going on? Like whose baby is this? So. And in other interviews, it was mentioned that Becky was afraid of what her mom would think because there was like a prior conversation between a mom and a daughter And she had asked her mom, if I ever got pregnant, you know, at a young age, would you be mad? And her mom basically said, no, I would just expect you to get an abortion. And so I think with Becky being happy that she was pregnant, she was worried what the outcome would be with her mother. Yeah. And like my brother, his girlfriend got pregnant when he was like 17 and my niece was born. And I remember him being hesitant, you know, and scared to have that conversation. You know what I mean? And I mean, she's she just graduated from high school now. You know what I mean? But she was like my, she was like my Millie when I was like in my late teens, like Millie is now, you know what I mean? And so like to see her like grow up and like, she's graduated from high school and she just got like her first like real job. You know what I mean? It's, it's crazy to imagine what my life would have been without her being born. You know what I mean? So I can, Mm -hmm. I can see how this girl would be excited, but she would also be afraid you know, that's a tough conversation for anyone that age to try to have with their parents or something. It doesn't matter how close you are, you know, like my mom's my best friend until I get pregnant and I have to tell her, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I had a similar conversation with my mother as an adult with a career. Like if I accidentally got pregnant, would you be mad? (laughs) If I accidentally got a new job, (laughs) my mom's like, no, bring all the grandbabies. I'm ready for more. Your mom is calling you and be like, did you accidentally get pregnant yet? I'm trying to have an accidental grandchild. My mom gets more dogs because she doesn't have enough grandchildren. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone needs to cope. You know? Yes. yes. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, we get the, when are you having another one? And then we have to be like, we're not. We're not. <laughs> so, Millie's perfect. She's all yeah. we need. She's the only one I want. So. so let's jump in and talk about who Robert Lehman is. So Robert at the time was a 16-year-old high school football star. He was smart, good-looking, and popular. He was a hard worker who worked two jobs. Police continued to question Robert, and he ultimately took a polygraph test and passed. Now this takes the heat off Robert. So where do we go to now? Yeah, because we've got two guys now, Todd and Robert, have both passed the polygraph. So either there's something crazy coming out of left field, or one of these guys is lying. And I'm sorry, I'm just trying to walk through where my head is as you're going through the story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We always like to take a guess as we're going through stuff. Could be a swing and a miss, but that's what I'm thinking. Detective Grennan took a deeper look into Diane's boyfriend, Lenny. Diane and Lenny had been dating since Becky was a toddler. He moved in when Becky was just 12 years old. Lenny was described as being odd and anxious when it came to talking about the disappearance of Becky. Police knew that Becky and Lenny had a rocky relationship. He was very strict, and he and Becky argued a lot. Also, his alibi did not check out. He told detectives he was homesick watching movies, but no one was around to verify this. Oddly enough, he was home watching Helter Skelter, which is about the Manson murders. Police felt that he was trying to hide something. They thought it was odd that he moved in right when Becky was a teenager. If Lenny had certain proclivities, could moving in at that age have been out of opportunity? Lenny and Diane started to develop weird theories about what happened to Becky. He told police that he knew where Becky was buried. He led them to a burial site, but it ended up being the remains of someone's pet. 
Police felt that Lenny had something to do with Becky's disappearance, but they just could not pinpoint it down. He claimed he was innocent and was willing to take a polygraph test, but then refused when he was called down to take it. Diane started to become suspicious of Lenny once he refused. This drew tension and Lenny packed up and moved to Ohio. But police continued to keep track of Lenny despite him leaving the state. One year later, on the anniversary of Becky's disappearance, police followed Lenny hoping this would provide some clues. Sadly, this was a dead end. Lenny worked his shift and spent the evening at the bar prior to going home for the night. Still, one year later, no leads, no body, still unsure if Becky was alive. Yeah, that is definitely not a good way to get the police off your back. Like if you didn't do anything and you're like, I'll take a polygraph. And then you're like, but I'm not going to take that polygraph. You can expect to be followed to Ohio and have investigators like watching everything that you do. Yeah. And I didn't go into great detail about this just because I thought it was just extra. But when we're talking about Lenny and Diane doing some weird things, at one point, one of the tips that the detectives got was that someone saw her in Myrtle Beach. And so Diane and Lenny went all the way to Myrtle Beach, which I think they said is like 15, 16 hours from where they are in Michigan, and spent time like camping outside the homeless shelter. She wrote notes all over the town in like chalk, like, Becky, come home, just call. And like, they were just doing some weird stuff over in there. And of course, it went nowhere. So I just didn't think it was that important. But that's the kind of stuff that these two were doing. Yeah, to me, it says a lot about the desperation of a parent where you get this tip like your daughter may be in Myrtle Beach and you are so desperate to find them that you will go 16 hours away. You'll put yourself in these dangerous situations outside of you know homeless camps and things like that. You'll leave these messages because you're like any chance to get my child back, you know, which hopefully myself and anyone listening, we will never have to know how that feels. But just putting myself in the shoes of these parents, it's like. Yeah, if I heard she was in Japan and it seemed at all credible, like I would be on that flight and being like, what's going on in Japan? I got to find out what happened to my kid. You know what I mean? So it's it's sad and it's also super understandable. Yeah, and they went out to Myrtle Beach because that's where Jackie's boyfriend Todd was. And so, of course, if Todd was in Los Angeles, they probably would have drove out to Los Angeles. So I right. get it. But here's where it gets real interesting. I'm I'm down for it. I'm down for the ride. Olivia, you know that I'm a girl dad. Of course I do, John. You have an adorable four-year-old. That's right. And I have to be honest, I haven't always been great at picking out the cutest outfits for her, but I have found the solution. Now what's that? Great Lakes Kids Apparel. From dresses, pajamas, raglan tees, rompers, and more, Great Lakes Kids Apparel has everything, and my kiddo loves their clothes. But aren't kids' clothes really expensive? And they wear them out and outgrow them so fast. Well, that's the best part. Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers affordable, wearable, and playable clothes. So no matter how hard your child plays, they last. In fact, I have to fight my daughter to take them off long enough just to get them into the wash. That sounds awesome. But do they take forever to ship? No way. Great Lakes Kids Apparel is based out of Ohio and offers fast shipping, usually within two business days. Plus, they offer free shipping on all orders over $50, and you can sign up for their awesome rewards program and earn GLK bucks. Wow, John, that sounds like I need to send out some gifts from Great Lakes Kids Apparel. How do I check them out? All you have to do is head over to GreatLakesKidsApparel.com or click the link in the show description to start shopping today. Again, that's GreatLakesKidsApparel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKS at checkout to save 20% off your first order. 
Desperate Diane reached out to Noreen Rainier, who was a psychic detective. The family sent Noreen a sock and a bracelet to have personal items of Becky's so that she would feel closer and have something to work with. Detectives and Diane consulted with Noreen, hoping to find some sort of clue or lead. Noreen was able to provide some clues about who Becky was. More of a tomboy, liked to dye her hair. She then told Diane and detectives that sadly Becky was dead. Noreen began to draw what she was seeing. She drew a circle, and at 12 o'clock, that started where Becky's body was. At 11 o'clock, there was a small airport, and then later out of the circle was a larger airport. So basically, Noreen is drawing a circle. 12 o'clock's the top, just like a clock. And so we're going from 12 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and then kind of outward. And so she's trying to make a map of what she's seeing. Yeah, I don't know how on board I am with this at this point. Like, I'm waiting to see if something happens, but I will be just up front. I am typically very skeptical of, like, I'm a psychic detective. Because to me, it sounds like you're way more of a con artist than anything. But that being said, I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't want to shoot myself in the foot. Yeah, give Noreen a chance. So at 11 o'clock was the smaller airport, and then outer was the, the larger, just to kind of recap. And then Noreen mentions train tracks and a river. She was leading detectives to the northeast corner of town based off what she was describing. Noreen could tell that she was not in water, but in the earth, as she described it. She felt that she was with someone prior to her dying, and she said she couldn't tell if Becky went willingly or not. She felt as though Becky went to meet this person and suddenly had a strong sensation of feeling hurt. Noreen started to envision the letters NNY and had a strong sensation of the letter L. So I'm not going to mention any names, but there's... There's a couple of people it could be. Could be Lenny. Could be Robert Lehman. Could be a couple of different people. Unless Todd's last name was Lewis, though. I don't know if it was him. (laughs) Honestly, I don't know what Todd's name is, but (laughs) last name was... Noreen was also able to give details about what this supposed person looked like, and a sketch artist drew an eerie picture that resembled Becky's boyfriend, Robert Lehman. Detectives asked Noreen if she could see a motive. She saw Becky's lifeless body, but also saw a fetus. This information was not public knowledge. Police began to look for places that Noreen described, but no leads or information. Police and Diane began to look at Robert again despite his alibi and passing a polygraph. As detectives investigated Robert again, they discovered that he had a girlfriend prior to Becky named Angela Snyder. Angela had gone away for the summer, which is when Becky and Robert started messing around. Turned out that not many people knew about Becky and Robert's relationship. Angela denied knowing anything about Robert dating Becky or impregnating her. But later, on October 3, 1995, Angela Snyder shared the details of Becky Stowe's murder with the authorities. Angela told police that Robert had killed Becky and buried her body at his Uncle Gary's farm under a woodpile. Angela admitted that Robert had told her a year and a half earlier. She did not tell police, and she continued to date Robert Lehman. Stand by your man, am I right? Right, I guess so. I don't know how you keep that a secret for a year, or like how you would know that and not go to the authorities. I'm also still kind of skeptical about this psychic. <laughs> Because you don't know like what she knew or like what kind of like context clues she made. I've watched a lot of documentaries about like these dudes with earpieces who are getting fed information. You know what I mean? Like I've yet to see anything that seems like it's a credible thing. And if, and if anybody out there is listening and you and you believe in psychics and psychic abilities, this is like not my attempt to be like there's anything wrong with that. It's just I haven't seen anything personally that makes me believe that there's anything real to it. 
But if you believe that, I don't want to like insult anybody or anything like that. But I'm still just like, what did you know? Or like, could you have a contact in the police department that's like, hey, by the way, you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm skeptical of the whole thing. And I'm also like, yeah, of course you go back and look at the boyfriend. She was pregnant. You always look at the husband. You always look at the boyfriend. Like, that's what you do. So again, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox, but I was just like, I don't know. I'm, she sketches me out a little bit. <laughs> So police began looking all throughout the 500-acre farm. On October 5, 1995, police found shorts with hip bones still in them. A forensic anthropologist on the scene began piecing together all the exhumed remains. She found all the bones, leading to the discovery of a teenage girl. Dental records confirmed it was Rebecca Stowe. Police were able to confirm that Becky had died that day. Robert Lehman was arrested for the murder of Becky. Once at the station, he confessed that he was with Becky on the day she died. He claimed her death was an accident. In an interview with police, he stated, At the time, I was in a scared, very scared state of mind. I was under a lot of pressure being with my grades and being told I was having a baby. I just wasn't real sure on what to do about it. She called me from a friend's house and told me where she was, and then I proceeded to go over to the house. We went out to the lake and talked, three or four minutes joking around. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I gave her a little push, and she pushed back on me. I wrapped my arms around her, and she bit my arm. I just tightened and flipped to my right side, and then I got up and she just laid there. He says he thinks he probably broke her neck. Robert's cousin would later admit that he and Rob dug a hole the day prior to Becky's disappearance, and when they were done, quoted Rob saying, That's big enough to fit that bitch in. Robert continued to explain the rest of his day to the police. After he buried Becky, he went home, showered, went to his mother's work, and realized the shovel was still in the back of his truck, so he threw it in the dumpster. It was then that he called Jackie's house looking for Becky. Detectives were shocked. They were certain that Robert had nothing to do with the disappearance and murder of Becky Stowe. He was convicted by a jury for first-degree premeditated murder of Rebecca Stowe. He was 16 years old at the time of the murder and was tried as an adult. Lehman was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Robert appealed, stating that since he was 16 years old at the time of the murder, the court should have first conducted a juvenile sentencing hearing. Court documents stated that the defendant had no prior criminal record, he was not introspective, showed no remorse for his actions, and was not amendable to treatment. He would be a danger to the public at the time of his sentencing and would more likely rehabilitate at an adult facility. Again, Lehman was only 16 at the time of the murder, and Michigan was revisiting many juvenile cases that were tried as adults, including his. In 2012, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that life without parole sentences for juvenile lifers was unconstitutional except in rare circumstances, thus prompting a resentencing for Lehman. Mark Herman, a Cass County Circuit Judge, said in a hearing in August 2019 that Lehman was not irredeemable and could be rehabilitated. Judge Herman sentenced Lehman on January 30, 2020, to a minimum prison sentence of 25 to 60 years in prison. The judge also had testimony from an expert who mentioned the teen's gradual brain development and that Lehman had injuries related to playing football. He felt that Lehman had been rehabilitated during his time in prison. And at the time of this hearing, Robert Lehman had already spent more than 20 years in prison, giving him the possibility of parole. In January of 2021, Robert Lehman was granted parole and released from prison. And according to the latest reports, he now lives with his mother and stepfather. That was a wild, wild tale. There was a lot of twists and turns. I was pretty convinced that it was going to be Lenny for a minute. The whole psychic 
investigator really kind of tripped me out a little bit. You know, like I said, I don't know how much stock I put into it, but just as far as everything that these parents went through and feeling desperate enough that they had to reach out to a psychic, that in and of itself just makes the story super interesting to follow. Yeah, there was a lot of details and just like the psychic thing kind of threw it for a loop. But if you go back and think about all the details, Noreen was kind of spot on ish. I'm hit or miss on psychics. I've had people who have had great experiences with them. My experience with, you know, the French Quarter psychics, the ladies and gentlemen who sit down in Jackson Square, who read your palms or your tarot cards, never really had any great personal experiences myself. I think the thought of it would be kind of cool, but I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't know. So number one, I would be really interested to find out if this Noreen woman charged this family any money or she did it for free. Because if she charged the money right away, I'm like, you're discredited. I'm sorry. Like, I just can't. Because my thought process, especially around the French Quarter, two ninety nine a minute, ten dollar. If you can see the future, you are in fact psychic. Why do you have to charge ten dollars to read somebody's palm? You would think if you had that power, you may be able to have a little bit more of a lucrative profession than setting up in a booth while people are throwing beads at you. <laughs> That's kind of my. I get it. I hope none of our listeners are psychics. But if you are, hey, John and I will be willing to do a Zoom reading with you. Or Yeah, dude, for sure. Prove like prove John wrong. Yes. <laughs> and I will say this. I've talked about this before. I love ghost shows. I watch ghost hunting shows. I love the idea that someone has some kind of psychic ability. I have yet to see anything that would ever lead me to believe that is an actual thing that happens. Just like ghosts. Until I see a ghost, be like, hey, John, I'm a ghost. <laughs> I'm going to have a really hard time believing it, but I find it very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. Okay, John. So where does this stand on your deadbolt test? So for me on my deadbolt test, I'm going to put this probably about a five. And again, the only reason I'm putting this at a five is because of the age that these kids were. And I think we talked a little bit about this when we were talking about the baby face killer in Harlem on your short on time episode. These are children. These are children who had a fling and then something serious came out of that fling and you react in a panic and you make a decision that not only ends Becky's life, it ends your unborn child's life. And then you've completely ruined your life. You spend the next 20 years in prison. I don't think that I'm going to accidentally get somebody pregnant and then, you know, we're going to get into an argument about it. I'm pretty sure that this is not in my wheelhouse, but like I was talking about like with my brother, like I've been close to that situation. I know the kind of stress that it brings. So I'm going to put this at a five. I'm not going to be checking my locks or, you know, thinking about this as I drift off to sleep tonight. If I do carry this with me, it's not going to be because I'm afraid of Robert Lehman coming to my house. It's going to be because I'm thinking about Becky not being able to grow up and live her life and become an adult and thinking about that baby not having the chance to live its life, that life taken from it before it got the chance to experience everything that life has to offer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I'll put it about the same, about a, a five. You know, not super scary. Nothing that's, you know, going to happen to me tomorrow. I am going to check my locks at night just because that's what I do. But this one's not going to make me go check them an extra time. But what I will say and that I didn't really mention at the end of the story, is that Robert Lehman is only like 40-something years old. He still has a whole lot of life to live. 
and he is living in a town in Indiana that's really close to Nile, Michigan. And so there's a lot in the latest reports about how Becky's family is bothered that he gets to live so close to them. And, you know, he's still young, 40-something years old, and he can have a whole life. He can marry. He could do it again. And during his interrogation and things, you know, the detectives were so dead set that he was innocent, that he had nothing to do with it. And just talking about how he could look you dead in the eyes and just lie to you. Who's to say that this guy's not going to do it again? He did it when he was 16 and he's been hanging out with criminals for the last 20 something years. Yeah. Or who's to say that, you know, when he was talking about his remorse or how he's changed, he's not lying about that. You know, I would like to hope that a decision that you made when you were 16 years old after spending 20 years in prison, like maybe you have learned, you know, and maybe, maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it was something just got out of hand. It doesn't excuse it, but I can imagine being 16 and being thrown into like a man's prison. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure that there was a lot of uncomfortable nights for him, you know, and especially for people who hurt children, you know, it's especially tough. So, you know, maybe it was a case of like, he got thrown in there and was like, oh no. Yeah. Like I made a terrible mistake and I can never be back here again. Or, you know, it could be that he just, he made it through and he, like you said, he's yes, I'm so remorseful and I'll never do this. And I guess, you know, we won't know unless he does something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's one of those things I think only time will tell, but it's crazy to think that you could end somebody's life and then live like a stone's throw away from him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that is where we fall on this week's deadbolt test. Olivia and I are both giving this a five, but as always, we want to know where does Robert Lehman fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at check the locks pod. Find us on Twitter at check the locks. And if you are not in our Facebook group, come hang out with us. We are 600 plus members strong. We've been sharing pictures of Christmas trees, all sorts of stuff gearing up for the holidays. I just love seeing all of our members welcome new members with open arms. There's gifts. It's just a lot of fun stuff. So if you're not in our Facebook group, come and hang out with us. We would love to have you. Olivia, this episode was wild. I don't know about you, but I think we should read a five-star review. What do you think? That's the best part. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, let's read our five-star review. Let's do it. This week comes from AMC524. And they said, I have struggled to find a true crime podcast that kept my attention and had great storytelling, and I have finally found it. Was even more excited when I found out that Olivia was one of the hosts. Big Mavs fan. I started listening last week during my commute, and I'm already on episode 12. I almost want to slow down just so I don't have to wait a week between new episodes. Great job, guys. Love it. And then it has the little, like, celebrating face emoji with the little hat on it. The party hat? The little party hat. So thank you, AMC524, for leaving us a five-star review. Reach out, let us know who you are, and we'd love to send you some stuff. I'm still waiting on my keychains. I know. I was supposed to go on Saturday, and we went ice skating. And I'll have to send you pictures, (laughs) but I forgot that we were going ice skating, and I just didn't have time. The place closed at one, but I will get them out to you this week, I promise. (laughs) Well, now it's the holidays, John. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm good at a lot of things. There's sometimes I mess up. I'm sorry. It's all right. But yes, AMC 524, thank you for taking the time to leave us that message. We honestly and truly really do appreciate it. Just like Olivia said, reach out to us. We would love to send you some stuff. We've got stickers. We've got buttons. We've got keychains. We've got all sorts of stuff. So reach out to us. 
Let us know it's you. Again, you can find us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. If you're in the Facebook group, let us know. And if you are not a social person, that's totally fine. Head over to CheckTheLocksPod.com. Hit that email button. Drop us an email. Let us know it's you. We'd be happy to send it out. And while you're at CheckTheLocksPod.com, hit that microphone button and leave us a voicemail. We would love to hear from you. We love hearing from our listeners, hearing your voice, and what you think about the show. So again, Check the Locks Pod. Send us that email. Leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review read on the podcast, what is the best way to do that? Well, they need to go over to the Apple Podcast app, go to our home show page, scroll all the way down to the bottom where you see all five stars. Click all five stars and leave us a review. Tell us what you like. And maybe yours will be the next one read on our podcast. That's right. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that review. We'll give you a cheat code. You can go in the show description, click the link. It'll take you right there to leave us a review. And I'm going to go ahead and say this too. We have some people who have left us a review on our website. If you've left us a review anywhere else, just reach out to us and let us know. We would love to read it. We would love to have it on the show. So make sure that you're doing that. Also, we have a Patreon. So if you are interested in financially supporting Check the Locks, you can do that by heading to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. We have a lot of great tiers. We got exclusive stickers, mugs, t-shirts, uh, we're going to be doing bonus episodes. we got a lot of cool stuff over there. So if you can financially support the podcast, you want to help us keep the lights on, again, patreon.com forward slash check the locks. If you cannot financially support the podcast, that is totally understandable. Just listening and hanging out with us every week means just as much, if not more. So thank you so much. If you were coming and listening to the episode every week, make sure you're sharing it with your friends, your family, let them know about us. We're just trying to grow this community, get in front of as many people as we can, and just share the true crime fun. So that is all that we have got for you for this week. Join us next week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case for the new year. It'll be the first episode of 2023, which I'm pretty excited about. Oh, this year has flown by so fast. I know we've started a podcast. Yeah. People listen to the podcast. Yeah. We were like, whoa, people are listening to this podcast. But it really has been a great year. And Olivia, I will say this in front of everybody. You've been a wonderful partner to do this with. And 2022 has been awesome. I truly look forward to what 2023 has to bring. And not only spending time with you, but also spending time with our community, everybody in the Facebook group, everybody who supports the show. So thank you guys so much from the bottom of our hearts. Well, John, I will reciprocate that feeling, but I definitely could not do this without you. John is all the legwork of this podcast. And I say it time and time again. So this would not exist if John did not exist. And I thank your family for giving me time with you each and every week to do this podcast for our listeners. So shout out to them as well. And I'm so excited to see what 2023 has to offer. I know. I am just so pumped. And again, thank you for listening, for going on the ride with us. We really appreciate it. We've said it before, but when we started this podcast, we didn't know if anybody would listen and the fact that we have so many people who hang out with us every week and interact with us, like we can't put into words how much it means to us. So thank you. Thank you. We wish you all a very happy new year. Make sure that you are subscribing to check the locks on your favorite podcast app. So you don't miss Wednesday's episode of true crime for the short on time. We will see you again next week, but until then don't forget to check the locks. See ya. Bye.